0: up my dudes what is up my dudettes it's the casey's corner podcast broadcasting live on this wednesday this hot and toasty wednesday it is already mid-august crazy to believe you know where has all the time gone this pandemic started in march uh we're already now in august things have just changed so much in the last couple of months in the world we'll talk about uh a lot this show we've got a jam-packed show coming your way Thibodeau High School football coach Chris Duga will be on the line, one of the many coaches around the state of Louisiana, embracing the new normal, embracing the changes and the protocols and the provisions. That interview with Coach Duga is pre-recorded. It was very good. Uh, we're going to talk with him about a lot of different things, so you'll want to catch that if you're interested in local high school football. After Coach Duga, we're going to have Assumption Boys basketball coach and a good friend of mine, Coach Derek Zush. Uh Coach Jusha will be talking about things out in Napoleonville. We're gonna also talk some NBA and so, you know, I, I feel like I feel like basketball gets left out. We talk all the time about, oh bro, we're gonna just flip the spring sports to the fall and move the fall sports to the spring. And we don't talk about the winter sports very much when we're making these decisions. So I wanted to have a basketball coach on to talk about some of the challenges that they're facing in their reopening efforts. So we'll talk to him about that. Uh, we're going to have a loaded full sports section uh, or sports segment rather at the end of the show. I'm fired up about a lot of stuff. I'm fired up about the Pac 12 and the Big Ten um, not reopening their college football seasons. I'm fired up about the Pelicans not making the postseason. I'm fired up about the NBA playoffs about ready to get rolling. I'm fired up about uh, some things going on in the, in the WWE. So our sports segment today is going to go long. I'm going to get very angry. I'm going to probably cuss. I'm going to probably say some things that need to get bleeped out. Uh, but our sports segment is going to be very interesting today. On the back end of the show today, we're going to open up the show with a little bit of coronavirus talk. I usually have been steering clear of coronavirus talk because I feel like you guys come to this podcast to get away from the corona, the coronavirus stuff, to to have an escape to hear about, you know, sports, to listen to local coaches and, and all of these different things. I feel like you guys are, are coming to me to escape the coronavirus stuff. So I try and, and I know at first when we first started we were very heavily invested in coronavirus, but from talking to to listeners, from talking to readers and getting opinions of different people. We've steered away from the negative, but I'm going to do a coronavirus segment this uh, just to open up very briefly, just because I want to illustrate to you guys that we're making a lot of great progress today in the state of Louisiana. We're we're reporting 134,304 total cases of COVID-19 a little more than 1200 more today than yesterday, which I mean, a month ago we were reporting 22, 23, 2400 a day. We've gotten that down into the 1,000-ish range. Our percent positive today, y'all, was 3.9% for the entire state. 1,200-plus cases in 30,000-plus tests, 3.9% positive for the state. Give yourself a self-high five. Give yourself a pat on the back. Louisiana, again, for the second time in this pandemic, we got knocked on our behinds in March came back, fought this thing off through mitigation, through you know restrictions and regulations. We fought this thing off, made great progress. Then we got knocked on our behinds again in July. and now we're again fighting this thing off, making great progress. 3.9% positive is a number we should all be smiling about. Um, our hospitalizations have dropped have dropped from 1,600 a couple of weeks ago to 1335 today that's marked progress we're doing this thing and and the reason why we're doing this thing is because all of the guidance that is in place actually works wearing a mask actually works i tried to tell you guys throughout the duration of this when this mandate was put in place and when everybody was freaking out and claiming that their freedoms were being taken away and that this wasn't going to work and that everything that we were being guided to do was pointless and it was all about controlling our lives and taking our freedoms away. I shouted from the rooftops then at how stupid those sentiments were. Then, they're even more stupid and more dumb now because this is obviously working. This is obviously helping us limit this spread. This is obviously limiting us, flattening the curve. And now the challenge is going to be this. Learn from your past. We made progress in April and May. And and we were able to flatten that curve very heavily. And we were able to get all the way into the beginning stages of phase two without issue. And then we let up. Then we thought it was over. And then we started to push back. Oh, how many times did I hear this? Oh, I'm so over it. I'm so over COVID-19. I'm so done with COVID-19. And having that type of opinion and that type of mindset is what allowed us to let our guards down it allowed us to um you know let this virus back in and it and it it gained on us and it got us back in a situation where instead of moving forward we had to stay stagnant people tell me all the time well what did they expect we moved from phase one to phase two of course numbers are going to go back up that's bullshit like that's that that's 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 what that is The numbers went back up because we stopped doing what we were being coached to do we started having ginormous concerts under the pavilion of the sand dollar we started breaking the rules we started pushing back against everything that we were being coached to do we started thinking instead of uh you know being proactive we were retroactive we started You know, playing the conspiracy card. We started playing the left-right political game. We stopped doing all of the things that got us in the position that we got to and that we earned in June. And quite frankly, July was very painful because of it. Now we started to buy back in in the middle and late stages of July and that's gotten us to the point where we are today. So my message to you in this segment is this, be true to the guidance, continue marching forward. And if you do that, We will have high school football. We will have all of the things that we are being promised. We will maybe even have some of our fall festivals. But if and only if we continue to be diligent, we continue to do the things we're coached to do, then we could kick this thing to the curb. It can be done. It is being done other places around the world. Those people are being more patient, being more diligent than we are, quite frankly, and are being less ridiculous about pushing back against their own governments being less ridiculous about thinking that they know more than doctors without any medical training, being ridiculous about pushing uh, medications that, that you yourself have done no studies on and you're basing it strictly on a Facebook link that may or may not be valid. Stop doing all those things and just listen to what the damn experts are telling us to do. Uh, I, I've said this many times, you're a Democrat governor does not want your business to close down does not want to take your freedoms away does not want to stop you from going to a bar because our state needs those tax revenues they want us to be reopened any insinuation to the contrary is just stupid um so keep doing what you're being coached to do and our tomorrow is going to be better than what our today and our today is already better than what our yesterday was because we're continuing to make great progress so keep it up Keep fighting. Keep being diligent. I'm so proud of all the progress we've made so far. So proud of Louisiana. We licked this thing once. Let it come back. We're not going to let it come back again. No matter what phase we're in, phase two, phase three, whatever it may be, we're going to continue to fight this thing. We're going to continue to kick this thing to the curb, and we're going to continue to make progress. Quick commercial break. Chris Dugas out of this break, then Derek Zush after that. Then I'm fired up about a lot of things in the world of sports. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. We'll be right back after this break. Guess what guys, we have another exciting announcement to make about some of the wonderful ways that we're going to be serving our public going forward here at the LaFouche Gazette. Beginning this fall, we're going to be launching our Generation Next series, which is going to be highlighting some of the amazing young men and women who are in our LaFouche Parish school system. These are going to be young men and women who are in school clubs and are succeeding in the classrooms and are doing everything possible to establish themselves as the next leaders in our community. Our Generation Next series is going to involve your help. We need your help in the community to make this happen. So if you've got any student that you would like to recommend, if you've got any student that you'd like to nominate, send them to me, please, justclaircasey at gmail.com. G-I-S-C-L-A-I-R-C-A-S-E-Y at gmail.com. Together we're going to shine a spotlight on these amazing young men and women and give them the recognition that they deserve. We are lafou Strong. <laughs> the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, Thibodeau High School football coach, Chris Duga. Coach, good afternoon, man. How are you?
1: Good, man. How's it going?
0: Pretty good. Um, exciting time. You guys um, have kind of your marching orders. You know you know when the season's going to be starting, and you, know, you got back the ability to have the kids in your locker rooms. And how have the last couple of days been, man? It seems like it's kind of an exciting time where the fog is starting to lift a little bit, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's been good for us. Uh, you know, big smiles with the kids coming in on Monday, for sure. Getting back at it, uh, I think they were just excited to get back uh, and 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 have some type of normalcy again. You know, with uh, you know, and I, I know it's hot out there and it's rough, but just just kind of getting back to normal a little bit and coming around and stuff like that was really good for those guys. And we had a good day Monday, another good day yesterday. It's hot and we kind of battle in the heat a little bit, but uh, you know we taking a lot of breaks and you know they they they're bringing their big jugs of water with them. We told them to bring a gallon jug of water every day, so they going through it and uh, they they sweating and and they getting in shape. But uh, it's been really good the last two days.
0: Let's talk about um, you know kind of the, the the plan here. And what I mean by that is at first you guys were thinking, man, we're going to get these guys back and then it's going to be a mad dash to the to the start of the season, but. That's not the case. You guys are going to have a lot of time. You know, the season's not going to start until early October, knock on wood. Um, So, and and you talked Saturday about this on the radio show, which is that you don't want to, you know, beat them to death right now. You want to get them in shape, sure, but you know that you have a lot of time and that time is at your disposal. Talk about your plan to kind of ease these guys back in, so to speak.
1: Yeah, we're kind of taking it slow right now. Uh, With the varsity guys, we're going to go ahead and go five days a week. But uh, we're only going for about an hour and a half because it, it, it's it's pretty hot out there right now on the turf. So uh, we're going about an hour and a half. we just kind of easing it in. Uh, we're doing some individual stuff, our position. We're doing some conditioning. And we're doing a little bit of installation as we go, but we're going really slow. We're staying in a helmet. We're, we're not going to do the three days and then ramp the path. We're just going to stay in a helmet for a while, I think. You know, two maybe three weeks we'll stay at home, but just to make sure we get these kids acclimated correctly. And then with our young guys, with our JV and our freshmen, we're going every other day with them because we have a, a really large group of uh, younger players. So we're not able to get all of those guys in uh, every day. So we kind of split those up into four groups of about 22 kids. So um, we we're going with those kids every other day. And, and, and again, it's kind of the same thing: a lot of conditioning. We're actually doing a little bit of lifting with them, too. We'll bring a group in, a small group, and lift, and then we'll have a couple of other little groups doing some conditioning drills. So, uh, you know, that's kind of how it's going right now. And like I said, we, we're going to take it real slow, uh, make sure we get acclimated to the heat, and make sure we get them in shape before we try to hit that uh, that next step of putting on shoulder pads. And right now with us not really being, being able to have contact with another live body, uh, the shoulder pads can kind of wait, you know. I know you can kind of go against a dummy or a sled or whatever that is, but uh, I mean, we we we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna rush that too much right now. Right now, it's just a lot of fundamental stuff, uh, just getting back into it with no spring, and a lot of young guys on the team. You know, it's it's a lot of mental stuff for us right now, just learning assignments, where to line up, and things like that. So, uh, you know, uh, we're gonna take it real slow and just see where it goes.
0: How has attendance been? I mean, there's no school bus to bus the kids to campus. There's no, you know, getting uh, rides, you know, with your, with your buddy to get to school. How's attendance been? And, and is, you know, how are you guys going to, to monitor this? You know, because you got the, the two weeks of virtual, then the two weeks of AB, where you're not going to have everybody every day.
1: Attendance has been really good. Uh, we haven't had very many guys missing varsity wise. It's been pretty much 100%. Uh, JV and freshman, we had maybe a couple of guys missing here and there. I think just the excitement of getting back to campus for the kids, uh, they're finding their odds and they're carpooling or whatever, however they're getting here, but they're getting here. Uh, we checking in kids and, uh, I mean, it's, it's a full bunch every day. So, uh, hopefully they can continue that, you know, through the virtual period. And then with the AB period, you know, it'll be a little bit easier on those kids that are, that are on A day or B day or whatever when it's their day. Uh, they'll have bus transportation or, be driving to school or whatever whatever the case is and they'll be here already uh, so it'll be a little easier I think once it gets to the AB days uh, you know and kids as far as getting transportation and rides to practice.
0: Now if everything goes according to schedule we're going to be back with everybody on campus by the time the season starts but just assume and, and just play along and, and let's say there were still AB days and you guys are getting ready to play games would it be different for you to not be able to physically see your running back and your quarterback on campus every day? You know, say they got a nagging injury. You won't be able to see them walking in the halls, see how they're doing. Just talk about the challenges of, you know, th- those are your guys. And, yeah, you'll see them at practice, but you won't see them walk in the halls every day.
1: Yeah, that's, that's correct because we, a lot of those guys, you know, most of our guys pretty much we have in an athletic PE class So if you got a guy like a Luke Alamo who's got a little hamstring or a nagging injury or a Ferrante Biller, somebody like that, that's, that you know is one of your, one of your main Friday night guys and they have one of those little nagging injuries. And let's say Ferrante's on a beat day and Luke's on an A day and both of those guys need treatment. Well, a lot of times during the athletic PE period, you know, since they're not able to do. Some of the stuff that we're doing in athletic PE, whether it be some conditioning or what have you, because of the nagging injury, we'd want to hold them out of that, and our trainer would be here to treat those guys. Well, it's not going to be the case if they're on B-Day and we're on A-Day, and they're not able to get that treatment before practice like they would normally when they would be at school every day. They probably have to either stay the practice and get treatment, or we would have to treat them at the beginning of practice and maybe get them out there towards the back half of practice. So that's going to be a little different than from what it's been in the past. We've always been able to kind of take care of those guys nagging injuries during the day. So when it came time for practice at 2:30, those guys were ready to go.
0: Coach so much has been added to y'all's plates this coming season in terms of the protocols and the regulations and all the different things of that sort. Um, how much planning have you guys done in terms of, okay, you know, this is how we're going to bust the games. This is how we're going to handle our sidelines. Like, you guys got an entire whole new layer of things on your plate that you've never had before. How much have you guys started to, to make those plans for what that's going to look like?
1: We've kind of done a little bit. You know, I've, I've kind of uh, been looking at the bus situation all along. We've always taken three buses to every varsity game, and we're going to have to continue to do that and maybe get a fourth bus, depending on how many kids uh, we can bring maybe to the game. We may have to go with a travel squad type situation because then you're gonna run into some financial situations to where you get, I mean, you gotta get so many buses that you almost wouldn't be able to afford to travel to an away game. So we, we may have to uh, do some type of a travel squad to where it's just our main varsity guys uh, that can go to an away game. And then maybe those JV guys are just going to be, you're going to play on your Wednesday night JV game, you know. So it's going to look a little different this year. It'll probably split the squads up a little more usually before in in years past. We've always kind of kept our varsity and our JV together. And now this year we kind of look like we're running three separate teams, you know, to where we run a freshman team, JV team, and varsity team to where those guys don't really have they're not really intermingling at all. We're kind of keeping them separate. Our varsity's just kinda of separate on their own. And same thing with J V and freshmen. Where those guys are not mixing at all and uh, you know, probably won't travel together uh like they did in the past where J V would be part of the varsity Friday nights. Now they'll they'll just have their Wednesday nights and a lot of times the freshmen we had freshmen that were playing both JV and freshman that might not be a good idea to try to mix those guys and do that. It would probably be better to keep them separate. So I think this year we're going to run probably three separate teams.
0: How important this year is it to build depth within your squad? And what I mean by that is it's inevitable players are going to lose, our teams are going to lose players and probably starters at times to this, this pandemic. There are going to be guys that are going to, that are going to go out, they're going to be guys that are going to test positive. How important is it to you know make sure that hey you've got not only your starters clicking at all cylinders, but these backups are getting some reps as well, just in case.
1: The backups are probably more important this year than they've ever been in the past. I was talking to Coach Rod the other day. Coach Rod had uh, stopped by for some for some stuff. He's he works for Red Stick now, so I you know I get footballs and my equipment and stuff from Coach Rod. And we were talking, and he was saying how a deep snapper, a guy like that is going to be more important as a backup than it's ever been before. You know, usually yep. uh you kind of just took that for granted with your backup deep snapper or your backup holder. Well, you know, you, your your first-string deep snapper, you know, gets gets covid and tests positive, you got to make sure that that backup deep snapper is getting the same amount of reps. And I I I I bring up the deep snapper and the holder because you know, with special teams a lot of times you know, coaches don't pay as much attention to special teams as you do to your regular offensive defense. Where you make sure your backup quarterback is getting some reps, your backup left tackle, your backup Mike linebacker—they are all getting decent reps in practice. But that backup deep snap, well, a lot of times he may only get one or two snaps of practice. So where you're going to have to get that guy a lot more snaps, and you're going to have to work that backup holder with timing with your first string kicker. You know, a lot of times the backup holder. All he did was hold for JV. Well, you got to work that guy with the first string kicker now just in case something happens to that guy and he's got to go on a Friday night. So I think in those special teams positions, that's where it's really going to be vital that you get those backup kids enough reps and practice.
0: You're a positive guy by nature, and that's one thing that I respect you a lot for. And so one of the things you said a minute ago was, Hey, if we've got to do a travel squad, we've got to limit the players that go on an away game. I'm thinking to myself, as you're saying that, that could be spun into a positive. And what I mean by that is, you know, hey, you could tell the kids, hey, we've got limited numbers in terms of who's going to get on that bus. And if you tell those kids that, I feel like practice that week is going to be awfully intense and you're going to have their attention a little more. Is that going to, you know, I feel like, you know, the competition this week internally, or this year rather, internally could be better than it's ever been before.
1: Absolutely. You know, it makes those kids want to fight for a position, you know, and uh, they see that they can be a reward for that on Friday nights. And, you know, kind of with our JV guys, I told them, look, right now you may be practicing at a different time than the varsity, just because right now our numbers are at a certain number and we're allowed so many at practice. But it's kind of like the minor leagues, you know. If that starting pitcher goes down, you're going to call that next guy up. And that's kind of the same thing that's going to happen with those JV guys. You know, you may get called up on a Friday to be either a key backup or maybe have to step in there and play on a special team or something like that. So, uh, I try not to have those guys get discouraged just because right now you're working with JV and you may be a sophomore, young kid. You may have to step in there on a Friday and play. And you may be a guy that gets called up to travel at any time during the season. So, uh, And that's going to happen. There's always going to be injuries that take place in our sport. So uh, it's inevitably going to happen for somebody. So uh, they just need to be ready for that. And they need to be focused and they need to be ready to battle for a position when they get there.
0: Coach, every Friday night you do something that um, I wouldn't even think is possible. (laughs) That's coordinating both the offense and the defense. Talk about the intense preparation that goes into that and then – whenever you finally get home after that Friday night's game man you must be just emotionally drained talk about that process and what's that like for you as a coach
1: well I got I got some really good assistant coaches that uh you know that I can lean on at times so uh you know that's that's a big thing as a head coach being able to lean on your assistants to to take care of a lot of duties and things like that um the preparation part of it I mean it's it's pretty grueling, you know, when you, you, you think about it, you, you're trying to prepare, get your offensive game plan ready on a Saturday morning, and the next thing you do is you go straight to defense. There's really no downtime. You know, every now and then I'll take a few minutes and maybe watch a couple of quarters of the LSU game, and then I'm kind of back at it, and then I'm back at it again on Sunday. So uh, there's really no room to breathe, not a lot of time to breathe. But, uh, you know, last year was the first year I ever did it, and uh i mean it worked well my assistants did a great job of uh you know helping me get things done and game plan and things like that so it was uh it was an experience and i think i'll be a little better at it this year i'll manage it a lot better than i did last year and uh you know uh it's just one of those things that has to happen right now and hopefully maybe in the future things can change but uh you know we just we just deal with the hand that we've been dealt and we we run with it and and, and we do what we got to do. And, and on Friday nights, just like you said, when Friday night is over, it's kind of like, it's just, whew, you know, it's, you, you just kind of, it's almost like you want to collapse on the field right there because it's just, it's, it's emotionally, it's very emotionally draining because you really have no downtime at all to really just decompress at any second during the game because you're constantly having to manage the game as the head coach and then having to think constantly on both sides of the ball and, and make calls and make the uh, try to make the best calls to get us in the best position to win um, uh, throughout the game at any given time. So every play, you're you're emotionally involved in every single play during the game.
0: So how does that work during practice when you guys are scrimmaging? I mean, it, how do you call both the offense and the defensive play without you know kind of giving a leg up to one or the other?
1: Well, what I kind of do during practice is the way we structure our practice is at one point. The offensive kids may be doing an individual period, and I'm over with the defense doing some installation, going through a blitz review, coverages we're going to play that week, kind of giving them basically the scouting report of what's going on with the team we're going to play. And then I'll flip over to the offensive side and pretty much do the same thing while the defense will do individual drills. And then during the group period, uh, you know, the seven-on-seven the, the seven type stuff, I'll let some of my offensive coaches Make some calls every now and then. I'll go, I'll do an offensive and a defensive type priority deal where, okay, it's offensive priority. I'm making the calls over an offense and I allow my defensive coaches to go ahead and call some coverages and things like that. Uh, you know, in the seven on seven type stuff. Same thing in, uh, you know, in in the team periods when we're doing a full 11 on 11, we'll do an offensive and defensive priority where I'll be on the offensive side for offensive priority. And then I'll flip over to the defensive side for defensive priority.
0: Very good. Um, so we'll kind of wrap up with this. is um, You see all these conversations and, you know, the Big Ten is canceled and the Pac-12 is canceled. And, like, we've got our guidance, we've got our, our our schedule, and we've got our marching orders going forward. But is there a piece of you in the back of your mind that's still kind of thinking, you know, yeah, this is great, but I'll kind of believe it when I see it? Because it still feels like we're at a time where – everybody's instinct is to try to find reasons not to play. Like how optimistic are you that we're really going to actually get this
1: done? Optimistic. And another thing that made me really optimistic this morning is that all the fall sports coaches got an email from uh, Eric Hill from the, from the coaches association, the LHSA. And uh, they said, you know, basically to, you know, to just kind of, you know, extinguish any rumors you've been hearing about the LHSA having the, uh, you know having the inkling of canceling or moving fall sports to spring uh, the plan is still in order um, you know and they they recognize what's happening with the colleges and you know basically they said we're two different distinctly different bodies you know the way the colleges operate and the way we operate at the high school level and, you know if you look at us we're more regionalized throughout the state and you know, somebody like, a, you know, just an LSU, for example, has to get on a plane and go play, you know, a Florida, I guess that's a different story when you got to jump from one state to another, you got to get on a plane, and, you know, it's a, it's a different deal, you got to stay in a hotel with us, you know, from us going from Thibodeau to Central Lafouche or South Lafouche, it's not as much travel, it's not going to be as many guys, and uh there probably won't be as much uh, cross-contamination between teams and well, I think we can manage it a lot better. And I think finances for college is, is probably a big deal, too. If, you, if you're if looking at, you know, an LSU, for an example, again, that seats probably over 100,000 people in their stadium, and they're having to knock that capacity down to maybe 30,000, it, it's a big hit financially for those guys. And they may be looking at that, too, to say, well, maybe if we move to the spring, our capacity can be better, and we can bring in more fans to pay the bills you know, at an FCC school or a Power 5 school that has way more bills than what we have at the high school level. We just kind of got to figure out a way to pay the officials and to pay our transportation. Anything other than that for us right now is kind of land yap. So I think we can get it done. I have no doubt we can get it done. Uh, We just got to keep knocking the numbers down and keep moving forward. And uh, I think we're going to get it done
0: two-part question before we let you go the first part is have you heard any guidance in terms of a six seven or eight game schedule and then the second part to that is would you rather an eight game schedule with 16 playoff teams or would you rather a seven game schedule with 32 playoff teams
1: well uh i'm kind of hearing the eight game schedule deal is is a uh, it's kind of a big push right now i guess to get You know, even those teams that don't make the playoffs the same, you know, the same amount of regular season games, I guess they can get more games like that. And if you go to the seven game schedule, you know, I I, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the benefit of one would be uh, as opposed to the other. Um, Personally, me, uh, it wouldn't bother me if we played eight and it was 16 or we played seven and it was 32. I just want to get out there on the field. You know, it, we, I just, Whatever way we do it, I just want to get my kids some games. I want to see Luke Alomar throw the ball this this, this fall. I want to see Ferrante Miller score a hundred times. You know, <laughs> I want to see those defensive guys, Roland Reshaw, that's coming back off of a torn ACL. That's that's a kid that can play Division one football, but has no film from last year. I just want to get his butt out on the field, making some tackles again, so he can show those college coaches that he deserves a shot. To play division one football that's the most important thing to me right now is those seniors just getting them out there getting them some exposure letting them play some games and uh, you know wherever the chips fall from there we just you know we just got to deal with it if we're a 16-team bracket we just got to make every game count you know uh, if we have 32-team bracket we will be where, you know it's, it's business as usual you know with just the loss of uh, you know three pre-district games
0: Sounds like a winner. Well, look, Coach, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll chat again soon, okay?
1: All right, man. Thanks.
0: Yes, sir. That is Thibodeau football coach Chris Dugod joining us here on the Casey's Corner podcast. We're going to catch a quick break when we get back. Assumption Boys basketball coach Derek Zush will be on the line. All that and more. we got a big sports segment coming up even after that. It's the Casey's Corner podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. So today I come to you guys with some fantastic news. At a time in news media where everyone is shrinking their coverage, everyone is putting up paywalls so that you have to pay for your coverage, everybody is printing fewer copies of their paper and finding good, reliable news is harder than ever, we at the LaFouche Gazette are going the opposite direction. Today I'm proud to announce that instead of shrinking the number of papers that we print, we're expanding our coverage, and we're expanding our coverage area. We're now going to have boxes in Northern LaFouche, in the Northern Raceland communities, in the St. Charles communities, and in the Thibodeau community. We're going to be doing the best that we can to reach every single household in LaFouche Parish, and every single person who wants access to our newspaper in the physical copy and online will be able to get that. So thank you guys so much, very much from the bottom of my heart. And I know I speak on behalf of everyone on our team. Thank you so much for allowing this to happen and keep reading. We are LaFouche strong 100% of the time. NewsGazette.com. Joining us now, my good buddy, Assumption Boys Basketball Coach Derek Zusch on the line. Coach, good afternoon, man. How are you? Oh,
2: doing great. anticipating an upcoming school year and glad to be
0: on, man. Appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Uh, you guys are in an interesting time, uh, as you said, doing a little bit of preparations for the school year. And we've got kind of our guidance you know, for how football and volleyball and some of those other sports are going to reopen. Uh, one of the things that we don't talk about often are the winter sports because we, we get so focused on, you know, fall and spring, and, and, and I think the winter sports get left behind. So what are some of the things going on right now with your basketball program? I know uh, interesting time in the world. What are some things you guys are doing out in Mustang land right now?
2: Well, I mean, uh, all but four of them uh, play football. And uh, we, we were kind of put on hold for that two weeks, and we had started getting a little bit of work in early July and late June. And then we got the, uh, the brakes pumped on us because a, a couple of um, members of the, I think one of the teams had COVID. So we were all put on hold for a while. And we decided since so many of them were going to be working with football anyway, that we were just going to get our basketball kids when it was time. Because we inevitably, you know, thinking that this, this season is eventually going to be pushed back further and further. And, you know, we're not sure if we're going to start on time. And, uh, you know, I've talked with other coaches, Coach Kaiwet and Coach Clark from around the area, you know, I think we're going to have a little bit of time to get to get ready if we play at all. So, I mean, we'll see those kids in seven periods starting tomorrow, the ones that are basketball only kids, which I said is about four of them. And uh, we'll start working on certain things that we can work on. A lot of people don't understand that basketball has similar restrictions as far as wood are and the football. You know, it, sure. it's very, very similar. And a lot of people want to compare it to volleyball, and it's not. You know, it, it, that's just not the way. Is being governed by the LHSAA. So, I mean, people need to understand just because one team is in the gym and it's volleyball, it's a totally different entity when you start talking about basketball and faces.
0: You touched on something that makes me a little bit nervous for you guys. And what I mean by that is okay, well, if we start football in October and we play an eight or nine game season and we extend football into almost January. Commissioner Bonine said that the other sports season dates are not going to be changed. And I know that that would be a great inconvenience to basketball. Have you guys gotten any follow-up guidance on that? Because when he said that, it struck me as, as very odd. And it struck me as something that would cause uh, a lot of panic amongst a lot of basketball coaches. So talk about some things that you guys are hearing in terms of your start date.
2: I mean, as far as the start date, you know, me, Coach Clark, and Coach Cogway talked the other day, and we said we, if you asked if we're playing at the end of November, it's probably no. But if you asked us, you know, in a poll if we were going to play the, when we get back from the Christmas holidays, probably yes. You know, I mean, that's kind of a general consensus of not just us guys talking, but amongst some other coaches that we think it, it will possibly, is a strong possibility, we'll be back in January. But And then, uh, something that also came up with, uh, Coach Campo, uh, our volleyball coach, brought it up and then we started meeting about it is we're not going to be able to have tournaments. I, I don't see that feasible, you know, as far as basketball. And uh, you know, Casey, November and December is tournament time. You know, you play in a lot of tournaments, you get a spare, you know, a, a straight home and away game every once in a while. But we don't see how that's feasible, you know, with, with your your restrictions of who can and can't be in the gym. As far as the way as volleyball is doing, if you, if you make it towards us, there's no way if, you know, us and Tibbetter High are playing and Bourgeois and Terrebonne just finished playing and then maybe Sanamo and, you know, and Donaldsonville get to the gym early and now you got six basketball teams in a gym. You know, you, it's just impossible to, to to kind of govern that. I, for that to be possible unless the restrictions are lifted. And even if they're lifted to, you know, phase three restrictions, I still don't see how tournaments are going to take place, which is upsetting to so. us.
0: Is there a concern in terms of okay, assumption is about to play? Let's say Thibodeau High, and this is a game that would would fill up your gym. It would fill up their gym, but you know, let's say the restrictions are twenty five percent or fifty percent or whatever it may be. Like, is it a concern of the the atmosphere is going to be not as good? And then there's also going to be the added headache of who's allowed to come and who's not allowed to come. Like, you guys gonna have a lot more on your plate, I guess, is what I'm getting at in the upcoming year.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh and you know, me and a couple of local coaches have already talked and said, Look, if there are no um no tournaments allowed, we're gonna schedule a lot of home and aways with each other. You know, so we can still try to make up some of these games, you know. That I'll go to Thibodeau Hill, come to me, because we were playing a home game, you know, I'll I'll return the favor to him if we can't have a tournament, you know. Me and Coach Carriwetter Boujo have talked about playing a home and away. It's just things to find the way to make it work if you need to squeeze in some games. But, uh, you're right. As far as we, we started exploring the option that I think some of the Terrebonne Parish schools have done where they're doing, uh, broadcasting their games on the NFHS, uh, network and they're going to be, um, have subscriptions and advertising. It's hard to make up some revenue, but it's going to be tough with no fans and, and deciding who and can and can't come to games. I mean, it's nothing like the atmosphere when you, when you get a Friday night game against Ellen or, uh, you know, uh, a big game on a weekend against a plackman or a Donaldsonville or or thibodeaux coming to town for the first time in a while man it'd be tough to miss out on those and that's all home games we have this year that are big money games you know for us depending on who we can get in the stands you know and then just the advantage of having your home crowd there we've been lucky enough to have a solid home crowd that carries us you know we play a lot better at home as most teams do
0: now you guys are in a situation like you said you've got four non-football kids um, that That's going to present some challenges. What do you do to try to get those kids ready and get those kids you know, fostering their development? Obviously, there's not going to be any scrimmaging or anything like that. A, that's not allowed anyway, but B, you don't have enough guys to physically do it. So how do you get them ready?
2: Well, it, it's tough. Those are the kids that are in my uh, seven periods weight and conditioning class. And obviously, hopefully sometime in October, we'll be able to have some type of modified tryout. I say only four kids not playing football. That's the varsity kids. We didn't have, we didn't okay. do a, a JVR freshman team this summer, you know, because we were only working with 14 kids as far as varsity. So there will be more guys. They won't be added until October. But you kind of want to keep your numbers low, you know, with the weight room we have in our gym. You know, it's not suitable space-wise for so more than, you know, with the current restrictions, maybe three, four people in there. So it, it's going to work out decent for us, but they still going to be able to, uh, when we did do some workouts, they were – they all had their own ball. We wiped them down before and after practice. You know, there was no contact. You can still get some shots up. You know, you can still do basic ball handling stuff with no contact. So, there's that, things you can get done. But, I mean, these guys, a bunch of them, you know, we graduated, you know, four starts, you know. we only only in one one guy. He happened to be pretty pretty good. But uh, we only really returned in one start and, uh, and then another play who got some significant minutes. But a lot of those guys needed some bad. You know, and, and they weren't able to get it. And I think they'll know the basic package and understand the philosophy. But still, they need they needed reps, bad. Maybe not as much as a team like Yellow who, like, is returning a ton. You know, some of the veteran teams are going to have an advantage. And I, I know we're all at a disadvantage right now. But when you start to think about it, if you have had kids that were three, you know, two, three-year starters and that are returning, you know, you you got a huge advantage. I mean, we all have obstacles, but. You know, that, that's going to be tough
0: to buy a team that has a, a ton of experience. So one of the things, and we had Chris Dugow on the show earlier today, and one of the questions I asked him is that, okay, we've got the start date. It's October 8th. But with everything going on around the world, you got the Pac-12 pulling out of their college football season. You've got the Big Ten pulling out of their college football season it feels almost like it's too good to be true that this is going to go off completely completely without a hitch, completely without any type of hiccups or any other further delays. Like, in your heart of hearts, do you truly believe there's going to be a basketball season this coming winter?
2: Uh, Coach, uh, you know, everybody wants to lean on football, and all oh, the football goes, everything goes. I'm not a, a huge believer in that. Although I, I know it's important. You know, and I understand that where we rank in the hierarchy of athletic sports in Louisiana. But I think there's a, a 10% chance we start on time, and probably a better than 50% chance we start when we come back from January. That's just from talking to other coaches. The general consensus uh, around a lot of people I speak to, you know, that that's kind of we have we think we got a solid shot at starting after Christmas. But that's nothing definitive, Casey. I mean, yeah, like you, you had my opinion. you know, and that, that that's kind of I think where we are right now. But, you know, things could change. They, they, we've been in training for the last six days at school, and things have changed every day as far as just new guidelines by, whether it be the CDC or Louisiana Department of Education or just a school board change. Things change every day, so it's so fluid. And uh, Danny Broussard had a good thing on his Facebook that, you know, was, was saying that anybody that says that, you know, a teacher that says they're prepared right now is, is not really speaking the truth because it's impossible Amen. to be prepared. But what you've never you know faced before this is an unprecedented situation in modern time you know this, this is you expect the unexpected it's hard to be prepared it's, you know it's even hard, i guess to to think of what the future may entail for us now i did uh learn a little bit of something from talking to some coaches and some other sports that you know mr boni may have been leaning hard on you know the sec you know and saying you know if the sec uh balance you can put you know, half of that stadium of 45,000, 50,000, and now why can't a high school stadium hold 500 and still do social distance. Now, I think if the SEC goes, then we we got a big problem with high school athletics.
0: I agree with that, brother. So so let me ask you this. From the perspective of Assumption Boys basketball, would you rather a longer regular season and then a, content, and a condensed playoff bracket, meaning, you know, maybe 16 teams, or would you rather a shorter regular season and then the full 32-team bracket?
2: You know, ideally, I'd love to still be out and get, and play, get to play more games so the, the kids can kind of get seen a little bit more. I wish we'd be able to play the tournaments, you know, because we're still going to SunKiss. We got invited to a, a select tournament in Mississippi. Like, we were going places this year. We had set up a solid schedule that would test us. We were going to Walker. You know, these are all good tournaments where our guys could have gotten seen. So I would like the longer – season you know with my guys I don't want a longer season missing you know 12 football guys yeah you yeah. know I I, I mean, that's not ideal but I'd rather the longer season than a more condensed playoff you know because I mean it if I'm cor- I'm not sure if I'm correct but what am I I was hearing different stuff about football going back public and private together for one year I, I'm, I'm still confused on, on some of those things I, I, I don't
0: quite get that The only thing I've heard on that, coach, is that they're going to just be back in the dome together. You know, They're going to still be doing the brackets separately. They're just going to be back in the dome together. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because I had other people arguing.
1: It would be something different, so I (laughs) I, I figured you'd know. So people arguing with me, I I thought I was
0: right. Very good. Um, Now, you touched on this young man a couple of times indirectly, so I'm going to ask you about him directly now. You've got Jaden Tyler back. Phenomenal player, phenomenal scorer, playmaker, distributor, does everything that that a coach would want. Uh, talk about the the luxury it is to to bring him back for his senior season. That's just a whale of a talent, and a, what I've not met him and I'm not you know been around them a whole lot, but it seems like a whale of a young man too. Uh,
2: Jay, Jay's a great guy, a, a great player, you know, a great student athlete. You know, not also he's you know not just our best basketball player; he's the best football player in the school. Also, you know, he, he's a solid kid all around he, he's very quiet you know he, he's got a little arrogance with him which a lot of the good ones do you know i, I hope we get to play a full 34 you know because he he's on pace to break the school scoring record you know if he wins another district mvp that'd be his third nobody's done that an assumption you know just things like that you know the individual accomplishments of somebody who's been a part of our program for four years and excelled at to such a high level you want to see him be successful you know, and he hadn't got a lot of basketball in his belt this summer. You know, he play, He focused more on football. And uh he ended up playing with Randy Livingston's team this past weekend, and I think he did well for the minutes that he had got. But he was just kind of wasn't getting many reps over the summer. You know, he was stuck mainly to football. But uh I wish, if uh you know, he could have got out a little bit more on the, the AAU circuit and maybe got seen a little bit more because, man, there's a lot of guys that I see around that are getting some – some solid offers that I like. I I'll stump on my guy that he's just as good, if not better, as those guys. I wish he'd have got out a little bit more, you
0: know. So let's talk about some NBA before we let you go. The NBA is heading towards the postseason. Um, one of the things that is annoying everybody in Louisiana is how the Pelicans have played. Uh, they came into the bubble with such an easy schedule, and they were going to be favored in seven out of the eight games, and they didn't even finish anywhere near the nine seed. What went wrong, man?
2: Man, I'm not the one to knock a professional athlete or anything because I was nowhere near it. But it just seems like you know, just the the resting of Zion and the way these other guys are resting it. You you you're paid to do a job, you know, and, and you got to get out there and compete. And you just didn't see him be competitive in some games, you know. And then the, the minutes restrictions. And I had some people tell me, well, he missed a uh, a week because he was out. Well, shame on him. He's a multi-million dollar athlete that he didn't keep himself in peak physical condition yeah. to go through his job if i didn't do if i wasn't prepared to do my job i'd have a problem you know you know i'm not employed not that they would cut zion williamson in no shape or form but i'm just saying as an example of you have to prepare yourself you knew you you were coming back like i just thought it wasn't he playing close to 30 minutes before this went out and just the the attitude of the team is just poor you know and and you just wish you'd see him compete man that's sometimes that's all you want especially out of nba guys the guys that play hard are usually successful you know the ones that play really really hard put up big numbers every night and they're winning you know There's they eight to save, but not everybody in the NBA plays hard all the time you know I mean most basketball fans will tell you
0: it's of my opinion that it's the Clippers championship to win this year but that this thing is going to be heavily dictated by matchups and what I mean by that is I think the Rockets have an outside chance to maybe beat the Clippers, but I don't think the Rockets could beat the Lakers in a series. So I just feel like it's going to be how the bracket falls. How do you kind of feel the same yeah, way?
2: Man, that's the same way in high school basketball. I mean, it's at almost every level. It's not, basketball is a game of nothing but matchups. You know, it just all depends how you match up with your opponent. I mean, we ended up running into you know we we got upset by the twenty eighth seed because when they lined up, they had six one six two six four six 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 six. Which was a big disadvantage to our, our smaller guards. You know, you you don't. It's hard to account for that sometimes. And, you know, it's a lot about matchups. You know, Temple High won a state championship two years ago, and they were really good. They were number one seed, but the matchups also, you know, were very favorable to them. And and no no slight to those guys. They they earned that thing. They beat the best teams, but you know, if you learn if you run into a team that's Huge and you don't have the big, you know, that, that happens, especially in basketball.
0: I hear you. Well, look, brother, we thank you so much for the time and we'll chat again soon, okay? All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Take care. We thank Coach Derek Zush for the time. Does a good job as always. Let's catch a quick commercial break. I'm fired up today. I'm fired up about the NCAA conferences and all these conferences, the Pac 12 and the Big Ten pulling out. I'm fired up about some things going on in the NBA bubble. Uh, we're going to have a sports segment. I'm going to talk some WWE or sports betting blitz. All the things that you're used to are coming up right out of this break. It's the Casey's corner podcast here on LaFouche Hey guys, I know it's a commercial break, but it's me again, but I want to tell you guys a big secret. I know how you guys could get the news in LaFouche Paris, the hottest news, all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the LaFouche Gazette app. Go to your app store, get the LaFouche Gazette app today. You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in LaFouche Parish that people are talking about, we're gonna be talking about it and we're gonna send it right to your phone. So go to the LaFouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, download it 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the LaFouche Gazette app today. Thank oh. you. thank our two calling guests we thank Derek zush we thank uh chris dugoff for their time it's the Casey's corner podcast here on lafusia we're going to wrap up the show with a sports segment i am very fired up about a lot of these topics we're going to talk about so expect um you know me to be quite opinionated expect me to get quite uh fiery expect me to get kind of juiced up as we talk about some of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next several minutes, this is a segment that's probably going to run pretty long because we've got a lot of things to talk about. Um, going to steer free of the high school stuff today. We've had two high school coaches on. We've covered you know, the protocols and all the different things. You know, so we're going to not talk much high school. We're going to talk college and pro. Then we're going to, well, more specifically, we're going to talk the NCAA, the NBA, MLB, We're going to make our PGA Tour picks. We're going to do our sports betting blitz. And then we're going to talk a little bit of WWE to end the show. Um, An announcement before we dive into the NCAA talk. We're going to have James Ellsworth on the show. Former WWE guy. James Ellsworth Ellsworth is booked to speak with me next Tuesday. Um, So we're going to have him on. Look forward to that interview. Great guy. I've spoken to him in the past. Great guy. We look forward to that interview. It's going to be so much fun talking to James uh and we're we're gonna you know do a lot of wrestling chatter with him see some of his solutions think about wrestling everybody has a everybody has an answer everybody i think concedes that what we're doing now isn't working everybody has a different solution for how to fix it so we look forward to talking to james about his career and some of the things he would do if he were booking the wwe or aew or whatever it may be um but the big sports topic right now, uh, diving right in, is is the NCAA and, and college football and all of the, the turmoil and all the different things, and everybody is deciding if they're going to play, if they're not going to play. The latest news is this. We know that the Pac-12 has opted out. We know that the Big Ten has opted out. We know that the SEC and the ACC have said they're going forward, and the kind of the fly in the ointment right now is the Big 12. They're the ones deciding whether or not to join the ACC and the SEC or whether or not to go with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Now, this topic fires me up for a lot of reasons. We're going to tackle this from a lot of different angles, so bear with me uh, as we kind of dive in. I think it is absolutely, positively ridiculous that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are opting out of college football. And here's why. Uh, For one, I don't think the numbers back up shutting down. Uh, these teams have all, and look, this is not reported by the media or by the national media because the national media is left-wing controlled. They want the virus to be spiraling out of control uh, because it makes for good headlines and it smears uh, certain re-election campaigns in November. So they don't report the fact that Michigan and Ohio State and and some of these teams that have been. That are now canceling their seasons have been getting together all summer long and have not had any incidents at all. Michigan has conducted more than 300 COVID tests without a single positive result. Ohio State, you know, has 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 controlled this virus on their campus all summer while gathering while practicing. This is cowardice. The numbers do not back up the fear. The players have put in the time and the effort and the energy. The university presidents have put in the time, the effort, and the energy to create these plans, and now all of a sudden, and in many cases, in the Big Ten's case, just six or seven days after um, releasing their schedule, now suddenly it's not safe enough to play. So here's what's happening, and here's you know what my thoughts are. I believe this is the realistic situation. I believe this will never be reported this way nationally because the national media is controlled by certain political interests and certain political groups the first thing at play here is these conferences the pac-12 and the big 10 are while they i'm sure are concerned about player safety they're ultimately concerned about losing money that's the big thing here and they're not going to say this they're hiding behind the shield of we're so concerned over our players the statistics show players 18 through 22 or people in general ages 18 through 22 die at a lesser rate from covid-19 than they do of the flu or if not a lesser rate a comparable rate than for the flu and i would then make the counter argument that if you would you know compare body types and you would see the the trained athlete and the the you know the person who is in peak physical condition the, the rate of fatality from COVID-19 versus the flu would probably be less for COVID than it would be for the flu. So this is not a player safety thing out front. They're not concerned out front about um, what coronavirus is going to do to their teams or to their locker rooms. They're worried about losing money. They're worried about these stadiums that used to be full with 110,000 fans are now gonna be either empty or have 20 or 30,000 fans. And they don't wanna take that cost out front. They don't wanna take that sunk cost out front. They don't wanna do the conference uh, games and the schedules at you know just a $5 million profit when you could do it for a $100 million profit perhaps a little bit later. So out front, you know, let's just call it what it is. This is not a COVID issue. This is a financial issue that is sparked because of a COVID issue. They're afraid to do this and not make as much money as they're accustomed to. That's just the reality of the situation. It's never going to be admitted by the university presidents. It's never going to be reported as such in the national media, but this is a financial decision, and anyone who claims otherwise is just outright lying. Second, let's take a look at kind of the timeline of this. Okay? University presidents are primarily you know what politically they're primarily left-wing politically academia scientists um, uh, people in the educational realm are primarily left-wing politically and I just find it very convenient and very interesting that when President Donald Trump over the weekend has started kind of his crusade of saying that it is safe and that you know sports teams should be playing and that college sports should go off with it, without a hitch, I find it very convenient that immediately after he started making those comments, these presidents and ADs started pushing back saying it wasn't safe to play. So I wonder if, and I don't know this for a fact, I'm just speculating, the stuff about the money and everything that I said at the beginning part of this segment, I'm certain of that, this now I'm just kind of going out in the left field and I'm speculating if this is maybe a politically motivated decision. If, you know, the president had just not opened up his 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 uh, his Twitter account and had not gone on Clay Travis show and had been so pointed about how we need to play. I wonder if that push towards canceling would have still been taking place this week because it feels like the president said we should play. And then immediately after these university presidents who probably don't support him turned around and said, you know what, we're not letting you tell us what to do. We're canceling. That's what it feels like for me. And knowing the politics of university presidents, most times knowing the politics of people in academia, most times knowing the politics of the people in the left coast um, all the time. Knowing the politics of some of the people in some of those Midwestern and Northern states that are being pulled out, it feels like something here smells like a fish. And I have a little bit of a theory about that, and I have actually some facts that could kind of back up that theory, that this may be more of a financial and a political decision than a coronavirus decision. Hear me out, let me keep going. Let's start with the Big Ten. The Big Ten is going to practice throughout the fall while not playing games. So if this were truly an issue of we feel so bad for these players, but it's just not safe, then why the hell would you not be sending those players home to quarantine? Why in the hell would you not be sending these players home to do virtual learning? Ohio State and Michigan and some of these other Big Ten conferences are going to be having on-campus learning. On-campus learning, they're going to be safe to mingle and mix with hundreds, uh, you know, if not close to a 1,000 students per day on campus, but they're not going to be safe to play football in the fall. That is hypocrisy in the, in the broadest form. That is hypocrisy in every sense of the word, and it's absolutely asinine, and it's absolutely ridiculous. I could make the argument right now that if we play college football, we would save lives instead of losing lives. And i know you're saying well casey what do you mean you know the exposure would be greater how in the hell are we saving lives listen to me clearly whenever i say this i think that by playing college football in the fall we're going to be testing student athletes at the bit at the power five conference level three to four times a week that is in the, the the plans and the provisions for every one of these major conferences is to test three or four times a week so here's what happens you don't play that testing ain't going to be happening so Uh, little Jimmy or little Joe, who's a quarterback for Ohio state, who is going to contract COVID and likely be asymptomatic, right? Because how often do we hear this student athlete has this, but because their lungs are so conditioned, they're asymptomatic because he now knows his diagnosis because he's being tested every day by his team. He is going to know, Hey, I have to quarantine. I have to stay in. I have to protect myself. I have to protect the people around me. That's a sound investment. You take that testing away, you take those games away, little Jimmy or little Joe's gonna get that COVID-19 diagnosis, be asymptomatic, have no reason to go to the doctor, so he's never gonna know that he has it. So instead of playing football on that Saturday afternoon, he's gonna go home and visit his family. He's gonna visit his mom who's 60 years old, who's diabetic, who has high hypertension. He's gonna go visit his grandma who's 85, who has hypertension, who has a heart ailment. They may contract the virus, they may die. College football being played this fall could literally save lives. And I think that it would be safer for us to play than it would be to not play. Because the student athletes are A, not going to limit their exposure one iota. They're gonna still be going to school on campus. They're gonna still be going out and mingling with their friends. They're gonna still be practicing in their facilities in the fall. We're not gonna be limiting their exposure at all. The only thing we're gonna be doing is not playing games. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous play these games, do the testing, put the protocols and provisions in place, and I can make the literal argument that by doing that, we would be keeping the players safer, keeping the players' families safer, keeping everybody who comes in contact with the players safer. Governor John Bell Edwards says all the time, testing is not the issue. It's, it's, it's finding out who has a case and who doesn't have a case and who's testing positive. You know, We, we should know this. And I think that in this instance, it's a situation where you're choosing either testing versus not testing. And the fact that we're going to be in a situation where we're going to choose not testing and not playing, I think it may do more harm than good. I think it may do more harm than good. And if they've been able to control this throughout the summer, through these meetings, through these workouts, through all the different things that they've been doing at least give them the chance to go forward. And the fact that there's such this rush to push back and there's such this rush to say no, when the numbers and the testing data say that they're keeping this under control, it just makes you wonder if there's not something that is an ulterior motive. And again, I I, I can't help but to go back to some of the things that I've talked about earlier in this segment that could be possible ulterior motives. Financial, political. One more thing about the college football stuff, then we'll move on to some NBA bubble talk. Don't believe for a second that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to be playing spring football. That's what pisses me off the most about these decisions to postpone, is that the, these conference and university presidents and athletic directors don't have the balls to step up and say that this is a season cancellation. Because it absolutely positively is a season cancellation. You could tell me until you are blue in the face that you're playing spring football, and that is a bold-faced lie. Those conferences absolutely, positively will not be playing spring football. That is a lie. That is a PR move because they don't have the, the courage or the balls to say that we're canceling. That is just giving people false hope for the sake of giving them false hope. There will not be spring football for a couple of reasons. A, the, the NFL players are not going to play. Why would an NFL prospect start a season in January or February and then risk getting injured and then still be playing his season through the NFL draft? That makes no sense. And B, how in the hell is it safer to play 25 games in a six-month period because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about starting seasons in February and then starting the season back in 2021, back in the fall again. So we're talking about playing two seasons back to back, which would be 25 games or 24, 25 games in a six to eight month stretch. How is that any safer than the COVID pandemic? How is that any safer? You know, the concussion risk and the, the, you know, the, the, the risk of injury to an ACL or you know, just the overall body fatigue. These grown men's bodies and minds are still developing. How is it safer to ask them to put in two seasons in one calendar year than it is to play during a COVID pandemic that A, is being controlled in those locker rooms, and B, doesn't affect college students one iota? It's about safety. We're worried about our student athletes. The idea that you even have the gumption to say that in the same sentence while saying That you want to postpone your season to the spring is the most hypocritical, embarrassing thing that I have ever heard any of these uh, college athletics people say. College athletics are a dirty game, it's a dirty sport, but this has exposed some of that dirtiness in the past week. This is 100% financial, this is 100% about money, and insinuations to the other uh, side of the fence when you look at the data and when you look at some of the things that have come out in the last couple of weeks. It's hard to argue that this is 100% about money. This is not a COVID issue. This is a financial issue. And don't let them lie to you and say they're playing in the spring because they're not playing in the spring. That's a lie. Those things are going to be canceled until the fall of 2021. And I strongly would urge Pac-12 schools, Big Ten schools, Nebraska's already flirting with this. Go find another conference, man. You don't need those, those those liars that are guiding you right now. You don't need them. Go find another conference. And if you feel like you could control this thing, then play. If your state government says it's legal for you to play, then play. You know, limit your fans, and if outbreaks occur, you know, then, then we'll we'll rush and, and make those judgments as we have to. But if you feel that it's safe and you feel that you've controlled this thing over the summer, play. Go and find outlets and play. College is supposed to be career prep. And for Power 5 schools that are hosting college athletics and are hosting college football teams, going to the NFL is the future job of a lot of these guys. On any given LSU team, there may be 100 guys on that roster, and probably 40 to 50 of them are going to at least have a cup of tea in the NFL. Playing football is career prep for these guys, and we can't take that away from them just because of financial reasons, because we're afraid that... We can't make ends meet if the stadium is only 25% full. Give me a break. I applaud the SEC and the ACC for remaining vigilant. And I hope that they continue to push through. And I hope that the Big 12 joins them in doing so. And I hope we could have that season that we've been promising everybody that we would have. And to the Pac-12 and the Big 10, you weren't going to make the playoffs anyway. You weren't going to win the national championship anyway. So we could do it without you. And... Uh, you're not having a spring season. I guess I'll leave it at that. That's It's a bold-faced line. and angers me to read that every time I have to read that because it's not safer to play two seasons in one calendar year than it is to play right now during the COVID pandemic. It's just not. We'll shift gears now. We'll talk some things going on in the NBA bubble. Um, the NBA is getting to a really exciting time, but we're going to have to endure a couple of boring days to get there because right now, everybody in the bubble is either eliminated or pretty much has their seed locked. So the next couple of days of regular season games are going to be brutally bad (laughs) because teams uh, either don't want to win or, you know, it's team A who does want to win facing team B who's tanking. And uh, there's a lot of non-competitive games uh, going on in the bubble, but by this time next week, we'll be starting the playoffs and things will be drastically different. But Start out, let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. Everybody's upset. Everybody's angry. Everybody's um, disappointed because the Pelicans are not making the postseason. Here are a couple of things. And and I I know a lot of you are waiting for me to laugh and, ha-ha, I told you so, all that good stuff. I'm not going to do that because I want this team to do well. But here are a couple of things that have to happen in the upcoming months if the Pelicans want to get to any form of relevance because right now let's be realistic okay i'm not gonna point you know and, and laugh at you guys but i think now is an opportunity for us all to agree on something and that's a the pelicans are not as good as we thought they were let's all admit that now we all coming into the bubble we're predicting six and two seven and one get the eight seed, challenge the lakers i on the other hand knew that was unrealistic but I think now it's fair that we could assume and say we all know that those were very lofty ambitions and that the team just isn't ready for that. So, A, out front, the Pelicans are not as good as we thought they were. B, the Pelicans' roster needs some drastic reshaping. Um, I think that in the offseason, the Pelicans have to re-sign Brandon Ingram at any cost. Uh, Be it a max contract, whatever it may be, at any cost, you got to re-sign Brandon Ingram. I I was not on board with that idea earlier in the season, but he's made great enough strides. He's shown me that he is a better player than I realized that he was, and I think he's worthy of that maximum contract. Resign him at any cost. Then second, you've got to figure out if you're going to be a young, upstart, hungry team or a veteran-laden team because this season the Pelicans had a mixture of both and it didn't work. You've got to figure out, are we going forward with the JJ Reddicks, the Derek Favorses, and the Etwan Moores of the world? Or are we cutting bait with some of those guys and going with Jackson Hayes? Going with you know Alexander Walker, going and playing Josh Hart a little bit more. You know, you, you can't be young and old. You gotta pick one or the other. And the mix that they had this past season was awkward. It didn't fit, and the team lacked chemistry more often than not. The third thing you've got to do is you've got to get rid of Lonzo Ball at all costs. And this is not an anti-Lonzo Ball um, message. This is not an anti-Lonzo Ball you know three-minute segment. I think Lonzo Ball is capable of being an NBA starter, but I don't think he fits what the Pelicans are trying to do. Uh, Brandon Ingram needs the ball in his hands. Brandon Ingram needs to be that isolation talent who makes things happen. Brandon Ingram needs to be learning to play pick-and-roll offense with Zion Williamson. And Lonzo Ball is atrocious without the basketball, can't help you win without the basketball, and is not good enough at being a playmaker to warrant having the basketball as much as he needs it to be effective. His contract is going to be coming up. He's going to be really expensive. You cannot pull the trigger on that deal, and you cannot lock yourself into that contract. No way, no how. The Pelicans should look to trade Lonzo Ball this offseason, even if you just get a draft pick in return. You don't even have to get another player or another asset necessarily in return. It just doesn't fit, and you don't want to be tempted into making a, a woeful financial decision because then you would lock yourself out of having future cap space, and tying yourself down into a player who doesn't fit your roster. The fourth thing the Pelicans need to do is they need to be honest with Zion Williamson about how he can get his game better in the future. And here's what I mean by this, and I'm going to take some heat about this, because Zion Williamson walks on water in the city of New Orleans. Everything he does is perfect, everything that everyone else does sucks. I get that. I get that instinct to be very proud of the fact that you've got a young upstart player. But here's the reality of the situation. If you look at plus-minus numbers from in the bubble, the Pelicans were better when they didn't have Zion Williamson on the court. Let that sink in for a minute. If you go back and you look at plus-minus numbers from the bubble and you add them all up, the Pelicans were better without Zion Williamson on the court than when he was in the game. There are a couple of reasons for that. The first reason being their offense just kind of seemed to stagnate and slow down when he was in the game. Without him, they're getting up and down the court, they're playing free, they're moving the ball. When he was in the game, it felt like they were kind of trying to force him into being involved. It just felt awkward, it felt forced, it didn't feel natural. That's not a fault to Zion, that's not a fault to his teammates, that's 100% a byproduct of him just not being there enough and not you know, having that chemistry with his guys just yet. And I think that over time, they'll develop that continuity, and this won't be an issue. So I'm not going to linger on this part of the, of the thing offensively, because I think he's going to find it. Defensively, he was an albatross. In Orlando, Zion Williamson was one of the worst defenders on the court, one of the worst defenders on the team, and one of the worst defenders in the entire bubble. It, it just is what it is. And that's gotta get better if he wants to evolve and become a true star player. Because it's one thing to get offensive rebounds and to you know, catch an alley dunk and to score 20 empty points every game and have one or two rebounds and no other statistical impact on that game. But it's another thing to be a more rounded player, start attacking the glass, and start stopping your opponent from scoring every once in a while. I would much rather Zion Williamson be a 17 point per game, nine or 10 rebound per game, five or six assists per game player, than what he was in the bubble, which was a 20 point, zero rebound, zero assists, zero steal, zero block per game guy. He wasn't doing anything but dunking the basketball in the bubble. He wasn't playing a lick of defense. He wasn't impacting the glass. He wasn't doing little things to help the team win. And that has got to change going forward. And I think that's going to change through conditioning. I think that's going to change to, you know, him getting in better shape, because let's be honest, he was out of shape, <laughs> inexcusable that he was out of shape, you know, you had so many months off and you could have been getting in the best shape of your life, but he was out of shape and we've got to figure out what's going on with like this injury stuff. Like is he out of shape because he can't exercise because he can't put in the time and the effort, because if he would, you know, he would start to ache. He was blatantly limping at the end of the last game that he played. Could hardly run. Could hardly get up and down the court. And, you know, we've just got to get all of that stuff figured out. How much can he play? How much can he not play? You know, when can he go? When can he not go? We've got to get all that stuff figured out going forward and get Zion Williamson ironed out. He's too good of a prospect, too big of a chip to have an uncertain future about him. And the last thing and uh, I think that at this point I'll get kind of a universal agreement on this one. You've gotta get rid of Alvin Gentry. Um, Alvin Gentry is a nice man, and and by all means, he's he's very well-liked in the city, and people seem to get along with him. Uh, But at the end of the day, the reality is Alvin Gentry's 65 years old. He's been coaching in the NBA since the 80s. He's been a head coach since the 90s, and he is below 500 uh as a career he has only had one stop in his career that has warranted success that was in phoenix and he was kind of poaching off of mike d'antoni's success in phoenix and then kind of ran them into the ground after that before getting fired and with the pelicans he's now been with the team five seasons and has a winning percentage of 43 percent and at every single season of his career with the team he had a good roster He had Anthony Davis every season but the last season. This season he had good young pieces and a good young core, and he's not been able to make it work. You've got to get rid of Alvin Gentry. And the reason why I've been so hard on getting rid of Alvin Gentry in the past is because before there was always this cloud of, well, Anthony Davis is about to leave, so who's going to really want to come and coach and be a part of that? So you kind of were more inclined to hang on to Alvin now you've got a young core you've got Brandon Ingram who you're about to lock down you've got Zion who's going to be part of your plans going forward I think that you are more inclined now to catch a big fish than at many other times before and I think that the the, the likelihood of getting a good um passionate coach will be better now than what it's been in years past and I think more important than anything else they just need another voice like when you blatantly don't show up for a bubble game against the Clippers and then you follow it up and blatantly don't show up for a game against the Kings games that are a must win games that you have to win to maintain your playoff positioning when you just blatantly don't give an honest day's effort you need a new voice and, and the Pelicans have to move on from Alvin Gentry there's no ifs ands or buts about it if they don't move on from them this offseason they're they're not a real franchise that's serious about winning yet I know they've got David Griffin, and he's done a lot of the right things. I know they've got the new training staff from the Suns, and people are excited about all those different things. I get it. I hear it. But if you bring back Alvin Gentry for another season, you're not a real franchise yet. You're not serious about winning yet. That's just the reality of the situation. A couple of other bubble things that I want to talk about, and I hear these things on social media all the time. And First off, let me say right now, loud and clear, that I will be doing a an after dark episode when the bubble season ends. Um, and, and we get and the, the playoff brackets are out and we know who's facing who and all that good stuff. I will be doing an after-dark episode um, where we're gonna break down the brackets. I'm gonna tell you who I think is gonna win every single round, how many games, break down some matchups. We're going to do all that i'm going to go buy a six pack of beer and i'm going to drink them while breaking down the brackets for you i think that'll be exciting i think people will look forward to that um but one thing that i keep hearing and we're going to continue hearing until the the playoff brackets are, are coming out i guess is that um the the portland trailblazers they're kind of become the sexy team the sexy pick people honestly truly believe that they're going to a secure the eight seed B, win the play-in game or whatever and earn their their way into the bracket. And then C, beat the Lakers or like strongly challenge the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. And uh, I giggle at at those predictions, but I read them on Twitter all the time. Like, you people really believe that that's going to happen. Let's talk about this for a little bit because I don't think that this is a realistic possibility. Portland, while what they're doing in the bubble is amazing, They're struggling, grinding, fighting tooth and nail to beat teams that aren't any good. Like they struggled and fought and clawed and needed Damian Lillard to score 60 points yesterday to beat the seven seed Dallas Mavericks. They played the Clippers who were low key tanking in the game that they were playing and lost. So like, yeah, what Lillard's doing, and and it's amazing what Portland's, roster looks like it's better now than before the pandemic I give you all that I also give you the fact that the Lakers have looked atrocious in the bubble I give you all that but a couple of things to realize here a LeBron James teams never finished the regular season well how many years in Cleveland was the topic of conversation going into the playoffs Oh, will the Cavs will the Cavs be able to get it back will the Cavs be able to find their swagger Will the Cavs be able to to get clicking again before the postseason? Well, LeBron made the finals damn near every year he was in Cleveland, so they would always find a way to get it clicking again, and then most times they would roll through the Eastern Conference without an issue. Now, this is the West. They're not going to roll through the West without an issue, but they're going to start playing better again. you got to understand about the Lakers. They came into the bubble and uh, knew they were going to be the one seed. They knew they were going to be the one seed. They had a five and a half game lead with eight games to play whenever they arrived in Orlando. They knew their seed was locked. And while yes, we talk all the time about how they've looked so bad and they played so poorly, and those are all accurate statements, we forget the fact that their first game in the bubble, they beat the Clippers heads up. So they have this extra switch, they have this extra gear, they're going to start playing better whenever the games start mattering more. They're going to – look, I love to hate on LeBron James as much as anybody that I know. But this idea that they're going to suddenly be a non-factor because they've been struggling in meaningless bubble games that they don't want to win anyway. And then this this idea and this logic that Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers are going to beat them in the first round of the playoffs. Come on now. We're so far out into left field that we don't even realize that there's a home run being hit. Like – Portland doesn't have the guns to make that happen. Damian Lillard is going to be flanked by Danny Green and Avery Bradley and some of the Lakers' good perimeter defenders, and the Lakers are going to systematically dispose of that team in an easy first-round series, five games, six games at the most, The outcome of this series is never going to be in doubt. It's never going to be in question. The Blazers may win a game or two here or there when the Lakers are kind of resting and taking games off. But they're going to have the two best players on the court at all times, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're going to do plenty enough to get by. Now, can the Lakers win the championship? I think they're too limited. I don't think they have enough additional help to win it all. But can they beat Portland? Like, come on now. Yeah, they're going to beat Portland in the first round. It's a nice story and all this. It's fun. Portland's biggest concern right now should be making sure that they're actually the eighth seed because I'm not sure that they're better than Phoenix. I'm not sure they're better than some of the teams that are even chasing them right now. So, yeah, come on now. The second thing that I hear talked about on social media a lot is conversations about who's going to win the Eastern Conference. I think the Eastern Conference is wide open. I don't think the Bucks are a shoe in to run away with these like everyone else thinks. I think that when you get by their punk of a star player, Giannis Anacumpo, who I call a punk of a player because it feels like every game he's getting in a fight and cheap shotting somebody. Yesterday, headbutting someone and getting ejected from the game. Something that, again, uh, no one talks about because he's the media darling, but he's a punk. Um, I think when you get by him, there's a lot left to be desired there. Chris Middleton is a catch-and-shoot player, very limited off the dribble. Bledsoe wants to get 20 shots a game, as a good defender, but he doesn't fit their offensive framework. The Lopez guys could be chased off the court by the right team. I think the Bucs are probably the favorite in the East, but here's what I think about the Bucs if they make it to the finals. They have absolutely, positively no chance to beat any of the Western Conference contenders. The Clippers beat them easily. The Lakers beat them probably in a six- or seven-game series. Houston beats them easily. Um, Let's see some of the other contenders. Uh, Denver, they can maybe beat Denver, but I don't think Denver's going to advance that far. Um, So, yeah, that's where we are. I think the Bucs could win the East, but I think the West is a three-team race. I think the Clippers are out front by almost a whole body. They're head and shoulders the best team. I think the Lakers and the Rockets are kind of running shoulder-to-shoulder to kind of pursue the Clippers. I think that while the Lakers may beat the Rockets heads up if they meet in the second round of the playoffs, I think it's actually the Rockets who stand a better chance to beat the Clippers in a heads-up series, if that makes any sense. Uh, Because I think the Lakers have more size inside. Anthony Davis and LeBron could cause problems on the interior for Houston. Whereas I think that on the flip side of that, Houston is better served to score against that very good Clippers defense. The Clippers don't really have any bigs that could hurt Houston, Uh, Zubac and all those guys like that. So I think that it's a three-team race in the West. The Clippers are out front. The Lakers and the Rockets are trailing behind. If it's Clippers, Rockets in the Western Conference Finals, I would favor the Clippers, but I think Houston could realistically challenge them. But I think also that Houston may be blockaded from challenging the Clippers because they may lose to the Lakers in the second round. But any of those three teams would beat the Bucs in the finals, so I think that it doesn't matter. And any of those three teams would beat any of the Eastern Conference contenders in the finals, be it Boston, be it Toronto, be it whoever else. So I think that, again, we're going to be looking at the Western Conference reigning supreme, the Western Conference being the dominant team. But I will say this, I will say this. If you're looking at a team that is not going to have great odds to win the championship, but just as a sleeper bet to throw a couple of dollars on see what happens, the Toronto Raptors are intriguing because they are scrappy. They play hard. No one thinks they have a chance to repeat, but they play hard enough to where they could give people problems. That would be, of any team in the West, my sleeper team, to perhaps maybe make that noise and maybe you know make some things happen. But by and large, I think it's a Western Conference League and I think the, the West is gonna reign supreme again and flex its muscles heavily in the postseason. Talk a little bit of MLB, very little bit of MLB. Mostly just wanna brag on the MLB because we have been so hard on them you know, talking about their breaches in protocol and how they've had outbreaks of the virus. The MLB is now four weeks in and their protocols and provisions are still undefeated. They're, they have had zero coronavirus outbreaks stemming from people following protocol the two outbreaks the marlins and the cardinals have both been traced back to breaches in protocol have both been traced back to people leaving their hotel rooms on the road which is what they're advised not to do have both been traced back to people violating the protocols that are in place the other 28 teams that are following the rules and that are doing the things that they're supposed to be doing have had zero instances of any issues and in the past week we've had zero instances of any issues. That gives me hope for the rest of their season. The fact that the Indians just suspended a pitcher for breaking protocol tells me that they're now taking this seriously. And the fact that um, the Marlins are back playing again is great, the Cardinals will be hopefully joining them soon. Quite frankly, they should already be out there as their outbreaks have been minimal in the last couple of days. uh, Quite frankly, they should be back on the field. Uh, but that they're going to be resuming play here in the next couple of days is also very good. And it just goes to show that, man, if you got a plan and you do things safely, you can get things off without a hitch. So kudos to Major League Baseball. A couple of baseball-related notes really quick. Charlie Blackman is batting 500 right now in the quarantine period. This is a guy who was once an MVP caliber player, then tailed off, and was a free agent this offseason that, quite frankly, no one wanted. Like, no one was really active on this guy. I'm, I'm on at Atlanta Braves message board. The Braves needed an outfielder this summer, and the name Blackman was mentioned in the message board, and everybody was like, hell no, we don't want that guy. He can't hit away from Coors Field. All he did was show up this season and is now hitting 500, and we're one-sixth of the way through the season. He's putting up high school numbers. So just something to keep an eye on. Remember, we did the topic and we talked about would there be a 400 hitter. Blackman's hitting 500. DJ LeMay, he was hitting 400 right now. It's going to be really close, and some people are putting up some insane numbers right now on the MLB level. We're going to make our PGA Tour picks. We're going to do our betting blitz. Then we're going to do some WWE, and then we're going to call it a day here on the Casey's Corner podcast want to give a shout-out to my guy, James Schilling, the golf coach at Nichols State University. He correctly picked Colin Morikawa last week in the PGA Championship. Such a good tournament, man. Like, that was that was a fair test of golf. Like, sometimes you get these tournaments that the course is so hard. and And what I mean by hard, I mean, like, physically hard. The greens are so dry. The course is playing like a brick. And the person who wins the tournament is the guy who's just basically the luckiest who gets the luckiest bounces. Um, This week, or this past week of the PGA Championship, it wasn't like that. The course out in San Francisco was very fair. You had to hit good golf shots to win. You had to hit good golf shots to be in contention. And it was a fair test of golf. Colin Morikawa hit the fantastic drive on the drivable par four, made the eagle. He earned his title. Kudos to him. And from a Tiger Woods fan perspective, I left the event optimistic because though he was rusty and didn't play overly well, he physically looked good all four days. So he's got a lot of big golf coming up here with um, you know the, the the PGA Tour playoffs and then the US Open and the Masters and all the things that are coming up. But Morikawa wins the first one, he draws the first blood, and now we move to the Wyndham Championships, which will be taking place this week, starting tomorrow. My shark for the Wyndham Championships, I'm going to go Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood is a steady player, plays very good golf, very consistent. I think he's going to be near the top of the leaderboard. So Tommy Fleetwood at 16-1 to is my shark for this week. My sleeper for this week is going to be, as I scroll down the list, I'm going to pick, let's see. My sleeper pick for this week is going to be... uh, Zach Johnson. Zach Johnson is a good iron player. Zach Johnson has been rounding into form lately. Zach Johnson is 100-1 to 1 this week. I think he's going to be a sleeper pick to be near the leaderboard at the Wyndham Championships. And my pick to win the tournament this week, I'm going to go with... Uh, who am I going to go with? I'm going to go with Paul Casey, who played well last week in San Francisco. Paul Casey, genuinely nice guy. Very good player, very steady player, always in contention. Give me Paul Casey this week to win the Wyndham Championships and take some momentum into the PGA Tour playoffs, which begin next week. And then there's going to be a mad dash to the Tour Championship and then the U.S. Open. And if you're a golf fan, lots of really good golf. And another event that I'll touch on briefly, the Senior Players Championship is this week. And if you ask me for a pick on that event, I'm going to go... Ernie Els and Retief Goosen as my two picks to win the senior players championship. So how about that? We give you some senior tour and some PGA tour picks all in one podcast episode. So now we move to our sports betting blitz and we're getting deep into the alphabet of our NFL list here. Uh, Today we're strictly in Los Angeles. We've got the Los Angeles chargers and the Los Angeles Rams. We're going to start with the Los Angeles Rams over under eight and a half wins for LA. Um, I think under, I don't think the Rams are any good. Um, I think that their head coach is low key overrated. I think their quarterback is high key overrated. They lose Todd Gurley, they lose Wade Phillips, who I think was masking some of the deficiencies of their overrated head coach in the last several years. I'm gonna go under. I think this is a good division. I think Arizona's gonna be better. Seattle's gonna be better. I think the 49ers are dominant. I don't think the Rams are a winning team this season. I don't think that they're in a position to have a whole lot of success because they're having tons of salary cap issues and different things of that sort. Go under eight and a half for the Rams, and which brings us now to the Chargers. As you hear a moron driving off on a motorbike really loudly into the microphone, uh, Los Angeles Chargers over under seven and a half wins. I'm going to go, and this one's hard because I really like the Chargers roster but I really don't like what they have at quarterback. So I'm going to go under for the Chargers for a lot of the same reasons as why I go under for the Rams. I think the Chargers division is going to be better. I think Denver with a full season of Drew Locke is going to be better. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. That's probably two losses. Uh, the Raiders should be in that 7-9 to nine win range there, so they're going to be a tough out both times that they play. And I think that not having Phillip Rivers there is going to be kind of a culture shock to LA. So while I like their roster a whole lot, I don't think they're going to be ready to go eight and eight. I think they're going to be right around that six and ten, seven and nine range. So I'm going to go two unders for the LA teams. Under eight and a half for the Rams, under seven and a half for the Chargers. I think it could be a long season for LA football here in the upcoming year. We're gonna wrap up this show by talking about some things going on in the world of professional wrestling. So again, as we always tell you, if you're not a wrestling fan, go ahead and just put the phone down and go about your day. Uh, we're don't, we don't, we're not we not gonna be offended by that at all. Uh, but if you do like wrestling, then stick around. We've got a couple of minutes that we're gonna be talking about this uh, here in the next couple of segments. Or in the next couple of minutes rather, not the next couple of segments. Um, So one thing that I want to touch on, this past Monday night's episode of Raw was really good. Like, at a time in professional wrestling where there's not a whole lot that is actually good, this past Monday night's episode of Raw was really good. They limited the gimmick stuff, they limited the Raw Underground stuff, made it kind of make a little bit more sense. They teased kind of the invasion angle by the outside group or whatever it may be. They continued pushing that forward. The in ring action was good. The push of, you know, uh, advancing the storylines was very good. And the ending towards Monday Night Raw was some of the best stuff that I've seen in wrestling in a long, long time. Randy Orton wins an emotional match with Kevin Owens, then turns on Ric Flair. Ric Flair pleads with him in. One of the better promos I've seen in the last five or six years, if not close to the the last decade. Ric Flair at 71 years old is still an elite mic worker. It's amazing to see. The guy is so far and away the best of all time. Um, It's incredible that even at his advanced age with some of the medical issues that he's had, that he's still so good. It just tugged at your heartstrings, tugged at your emotions, and Randy Orton was accusing him of hogging his spotlight and... Rick Flair got up there and said, you know what? Yeah, I do want to be part of the spotlight, but I love you, and this, that, and the other. Just such a good promo. Go and find it on YouTube. Check it out. If you're a fan of wrestling, you're going to really enjoy that promo. And then Randy Orton hugged him, embraced him, and punted him in the head. <laughs> uh, that's the way the show ended. Now, the pun in the head is not surprising to me. We've talked about this on the podcast. I've said since Randy Orton restarted the Legend Killer gimmick that this is where this was heading. The only thing, and it was very well done by the way, it played out very well, it was very well done. The only thing that kind of disappoints me about this is that I feel like they have now spoiled the ending to their SummerSlam main event by doing this on Raw. What I mean by that is if Randy Orton were going to legitimately win the WWE Championship at SummerSlam, then the best way for that show to go off the air. The best way for him to further along his unstoppable, I'm a heel, I'm a prick, I'm a jerk gimmick is to win the title, lift arms at Ric Flair, then turn to Ric Flair, and then put him on the head to end SummerSlam. That would be an iconic moment we'd be talking about at an iconic annual pay-per-view, which is SummerSlam. But that, that this happened on Raw and not at the pay-per-view itself tells me that Drew McIntyre is going over in that match. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like they have spoiled the ending to their main event of SummerSlam by doing this on free TV. It was still well executed. I enjoyed it. I thought it was executed perfectly. The acting was very good. The emotion was raw. It was very good. And SummerSlam itself is looking like it's going to be very good, which now we've got seven matches booked. The Street Profits against Andrade and Angel Garza. I think that's going to be excellent. Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. We talked about Apollo Crews versus MVP. I'm all about this Apollo Crews MVP, um, Shelton Benjamin, Bobby Lashley thing. I'm all about it. I'm very interested. Dominic Mysterio versus Seth Rollins, we talked about on the last show. Sasha Banks versus Asuka. Eh, could maybe do without seeing that one again. But anything Sasha Banks does at this point is entertaining. So we're on board. And then Bayley versus the winner of a triple brand battle royal, which will be happening on SmackDown. Curious to see how that goes. And then. From braun strowman versus bray Wyatt in a singles match for the universal championship SummerSlam is a bell collar you know prestigious event in the wwe it's kind of the summer wrestlemania kind of sorta it's probably the second most prestigious pay-per-view in the company so i'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with creatively to make this unique to make this interesting and um i don't know man there's there a lot of good matches on paper here they, they could potentially pan out into a good show and the stories and the emotion, that's the one thing that I'll give the company right now. And I'll give 100% credit of this to Bruce Pritchard because I think Bruce Pritchard is a genius in the world of professional wrestling. I love his podcast, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. I would strongly recommend you guys listen to his current stuff, and also his stuff in his archives where he tells stories from wrestling's heyday in the 80s and the 90s. Um, Bruce is now in charge of Raw and SmackDown, and one of the things that he has been so good at doing is he has redeveloped story back into the the Raw and SmackDown brands. Everybody has a story and an emotional attachment to their story, and that's one of the things that makes SummerSlam so appealing to me, so attractive to me, is the fact that not only will the matches be good, but the stories behind the matches have emotion and have an attachment to them as well. That's all for us. We're going to wrap up. I plan to maybe dive a little bit deeper into the wrestling stuff, but I got to admit, I was sitting under a big old tree in my yard, and it started to rain. I started to get doused. I had to pause. And you could hear the rain falling on top of the carport where I've retreated. I'm not about to get wet. And I'm not about to get my laptop wet. So we're going to, And we've already done this segment now for 51 minutes. So we're going to wrap up here. We want to thank Derek Zush. We want to thank Chris Dugat. We want to thank everybody for listening. Find us on iTunes. Subscribe. James Ellsworth next week. We're going to continue to do big things. Keep it here on LaFougeGazette.com. Our web numbers have been great. We're... Uh, we're doing it. We set out to do it uh, whenever we were employed here in January. And uh, we had a lot of lofty goals and people laughed and scoffed at those lofty goals, but they're not laughing and they're not scoffing anymore. And that's a credit to you guys for buying into what we're doing. So have a great rest of the week. May or may not be back over the weekend. Uh, Sometimes things change over the weekend. Uh, You know, homie likes a little time off sometimes. So keep it right here in the Casey's Corner podcast. You guys have a blessed rest of the week. God bless and uh, take care of yourselves.
2: Fight for what's right, fight for your life